Hello, I'm Chris Kreitcho, and this is the New Rust Station Podcast, a 15 to 20 minute show about learning the Rust programming language. This is episode one, Document All the Things. First up, a little bit of fun news, things going on in the Rust community and development cycle. Rust 1.3 landed back in mid-September, just before I released the first episode of this show, and with it came the most preliminary support for Microsoft Visual C. From the beginning, Rust has worked with LLVM and Clang, and therefore has worked on Linux and OS X, and has worked with the MinGW or SigWin systems on Windows. But... The Rust team is getting support for integration with Microsoft Visual C out so that programs compiled with that in C can bind to Rust and vice versa. Obviously, that's a big deal for interoperability with large existing code bases, of which there are many written in Microsoft Visual C. The upcoming 1.4 release has full 64-bit support for that and preliminary support for Windows XP interoperability, which, while of course we would all like it, if Windows XP would just go die, it isn't, and lots of people still have to support it, so that's fantastic. You can look forward to that landing probably around the end of October based on the release cycle train. Now, a quick note about that release cycle train for people like me who may be relatively new to Rust. Rust has adopted semantic versioning, meaning that the big number means you have full backwards compatibility, so all Rust 1 releases will be backwards compatible with all other previous one releases. So 1.2 is backwards compatible with 1.1, is backwards compatible with 1.0.4, etc. Second number means there are new APIs, etc., but as noted, maintain backwards compatibility. And finally, the last point means bug fixes. No new APIs, but just fixes to existing functionality. Now, Rust addresses that in a slightly unique way because, well, it's a programming language, not just a library. And that means that sometimes you would have technically or formally breaking changes, even with some of those bug fixes or minor releases. But what they've chosen to do is go with functional semantic versioning, which is to say, if they can make the change and though it formally would technically not be aligned with semantic versioning, but they can show that it doesn't actually break any working code out there, they go ahead and treat it as a minor version bump anyway, and I think that's sensible. More on how they pull that off in a future episode. Suffice it to say that this allows them to continue iterating on the language, its library, and tooling while giving good guarantees to the community that as they upgrade, they're not just going to break everything. So, that news and background information out of the way, let's jump in and start talking about documentation. First off, Rust has a built-in documentation tool that ships with the core tooling for the language. It's called RustDoc, and we'll talk about how that works in just a moment. But I want to start by asking, why should we care? Well, documentation is, as a rule, handy. But documentation is also difficult to maintain. Anyone who's worked on any large software project knows that the further away from the code the documentation is, the more likely it is to be out of date. So if you have some wiki somewhere that is supposed to describe how the code works and it's not generated automatically from your code base, the likelihood is very high that fairly quickly it's going to become outdated and incorrect in certain ways. And for anyone using your code, that can be a problem. 
Now, this is in fact equally problematic whether you're a big open source project or whether you're just trying to get a handle on a large code base in an enterprise context or even just a small company that's written a lot of software to support its main business goals over the years. The latter situation is one in which I have found myself, and even as we have tried to use uh, wiki tools and so on to keep a pretty good handle on what we know and what's going on in the code, the reality is that over time we have found we've had to update it, and inevitably updating that kind of external documentation is much lower priority than simply fixing the bugs. It's a lot easier to keep that up to date if you can generate it automatically from things that are closely associated with the code itself. And best of all would be the situation where updating the code automatically updates the documentation. Now, I don't know of any tooling that does that yet, but we're getting closer to it. And a lot of modern languages have built-in support at least for creating documentation that's closely coupled to the code so that you can easily attach it to the code and it's easy to make the change immediately as you update the code. Some predecessors to what we might see for that kind of tooling is Python's built-in help tooling, which uses a special type of string that actually gets attached to the objects themselves. Java also has built-in tooling around documentation. And then, of course, other modern, even more modern languages like Elixir and Julia have adopted the notion of using Markdown and supporting that like Rust does as a built-in around the, the language itself. What that does is make it so that you don't have to download an extra tool. And we'll talk about how to use the internal tool in just a moment, but not having to download an extra tool, a Doxygen, a JS doc, etc., means that it's much easier for people in the community to just go ahead and generate documentation. And that's a big deal, because if you have to go download an extra tool to make it work, you're going to have a large chunk of the community that just doesn't do that. Even within companies, you may find that some people are very diligent about writing code that works with those tools and then generating from those tools, and other people aren't. Other people may just find all that downloading, etc., a hassle. Now, if you're saying that's just a matter of good practice and people should just do it anyway, I agree. But the simple reality is that we all have limited time and limited attention spans, and especially for people who may be programming as a secondary part of their job, Having to configure and manage even more tooling is a problem, so having it built in is great. On the note of community, this also has a couple other nice effects. First, it shapes the community, engendering an expectation that documentation is normal. Now, of course, it doesn't guarantee anything. Number one, you don't have to generate documentation to publish something to crates.io, which is Rust's package hosting solution. You don't have to even write documentation to do that. But having the documentation tooling there from the get-go makes it much easier for people to do it and therefore likelier that people will do it. It also doesn't guarantee anything about the quality of that documentation, of course. And we have all seen open source projects with lots of very poor and unhelpful documentation. You have a frequently asked questions section that doesn't come close to any of the actual questions I have in using this. You don't have documentation of any of the methods you have supplied, etc. There's no guarantee that having tools like RustDoc and CargoDoc will fix that, but it at least gives us an easier shot at having it available. Finally, 
And, and not least in terms of these advantages, having an automatic tool that creates the same basic output for everybody helps with standardization. And Python, one of my other favorite programming languages, is a great example of why this kind of standardization could be useful. Over the last few years, Python documentation has started to become a little more standard. You can find a lot of Python tooling and documentation on Read the Docs. However, as much of that documentation as there is on Read the Docs, it's all organized in some strikingly different ways. Specifically, trying to see how a given package works, what functionality it exposes, and so on, may behave completely different from one project's documentation to another. Some projects may not even include that. And this is with an improvement in the state of affairs. For a long time, there was no standardization across these tools. The addition of Sphinx, which is a standard but not shipped with Python tooling around generating documentation, and the sort of informal community standardization on read the docs have helped, but there's still a lot of unpredictability about what you'll get out of any given package's documentation. Having standardized tooling from the get-go like Rust does should help with that problem a bit. So what is that standardized tooling? Well, there are two big components to it. Rust doc and cargo doc. Rust doc is the tool that ships with the compiler, Rust C, and generates documentation for given modules whenever you pass it a module. So if you write documentation strings and then you type Rust doc path to the given module on the command line, it will generate everything you need to view that package with all of its publicly documented functions as an HTML page. Fonts, CSS, JavaScript, everything you need. You'll be able to view the source of the package from which it's derived. You'll be able to view all the write-ups of the pieces which the creator has documented. Everything. You could publish it to a website right after that. And this is, in a word, huge. Because again, it decreases the friction of writing documentation. So there are two basic types of comments in Rust. One of these are your normal line comments, two slashes. Those don't do anything as far as documentation goes. They're just inline comments for other people reading the code. But if you start your comment with three slashes instead of just two, the Rust documentation tool, RustDoc, will pick those up and automatically parse them out into documentation for the module. And you just write Markdown. This is great. Markdown is already widely in use among open source projects, especially on GitHub and Bitbucket and GitLab and so on. And all you have to do is write Markdown preceded by three slashes and you're off to the races. Now, this works for modules where you actually start with two slashes and an exclamation point, because that points you to the thing that precedes the comment rather than that which follows it, or for functions where you normally use the three slashes approach because you can put it actually in front of the function, or for structs or enums, or for members of structs and enums. This is great. This means that you can document everything in the same way. You just write a doc string and you're off to the races. There are, and I will link them in the show notes, good examples of how this works, both within Rust itself and in Cargo, and then in the documentation for both of these. You can supply examples 
And if those examples are valid Rust, they will run with testing tools and make sure that your code actually works. All of them get linked to each other appropriately. If you run Rust stock on every module in your package, you'll have everything you need to have a fully functional website with documentation of that whole package. Now, documentation might be kind of boring, but I can already tell you that that's been hugely useful to me as I've started poking around in the ecosystem in the last couple weeks. One final note about Rust stock. As I noted a moment ago, it only turns into HTML documentation for public functions, members, etc. And we'll talk a bit more about what public and private mean in the context of Rust next week. For now, suffice it to say that you can internally document all the things that you want to have available to you as a programmer to know how they work, while not being worried that internal things that shouldn't be exposed in the public API are actually going to get published to your website. One last thing that Rustdoc does, which is pretty neat, it will actually parse standalone markdown files. That means that you can write ancillary documentation, things that explain how the project is to be used and not just API level documentation, and process it with the same tool. That too is very handy. Now the other tool you should be aware of is Cargo's doc command. What Cargo's doc command does is run through every module in every package in a project, and if they're internal packages, not ones that are external that you're depending on from someone else, but your own packages within a given project, it automatically builds all of those project docs. Instead of having to manually go through and run Rust doc on every package and module yourself, Cargo doc does it for you. You then have everything you need to have fully documented packages. You can see this in Rust's own documentation. One thing that CargoDoc doesn't currently do is run RustDoc on other markdown files in your project. This is a bit unfortunate. It means that you cannot build, say, the Rust book with CargoDoc alone currently. However, keep your eyes on that space because work is ongoing to make that a thing that happens, where CargoDoc will take all of a set of markdown files in a documentation directory and render them out so that you could, in fact, build something like the Rust book just by running cargo doc. Right now, all of that kind of work is done using other tools, whether that's Make or marshalling it with Python or something like that. It will be really handy when sometime in hopefully the nearish future, you can just run cargo doc and have that done automatically. Hopefully that gives you an idea of some of the utility of Rust Doc and Cargo Doc. I'd encourage you to take a look at the show notes for this week's episode, which include samples of both the generated documentation and samples of how the documentation was generated. One slightly crazy thing I'm doing with this show is building it with Rust Doc and Cargo Doc. Now, the landing page I wrote myself in custom, bespoke HTML and CSS and a tiny bit of JavaScript. But all of the show notes for each week are actually generated using Cargo Doc, and they are organized and structured the same way you might structure any other package. What this means is that every week you'll be able to see how I did whatever I'm talking about in the show, and hopefully you'll find that useful. I have found it useful as I use it as a way to play with Rust and figure out how different pieces work. 
This week we started with documentation, because I think documentation is a really foundational part of how any community works, and it's an essential part of seeing what we're going to do with the rest of the show. Next week we're going to start jumping in and looking a bit at how structs work, and also along with that a little bit about some of the fundamental concepts you might see in Rust, especially about borrowing and moving. You can find show notes for this week's episode, again, generated by running Cargo Doc on an actual set of Rust source material at newrustation.com. You can also follow the show on Twitter or app.net at newrustation, or follow me on either of those at Chris Kreitcho. Links to all of the above will be in the show notes. If you'd like to support me financially making the show, you can do so at patreon.com slash newrustation. The next episode will hopefully be out in a week or so. Until then, happy coding.